So the less density you have, the better service you'll get, right? And you, because you get more of that um, bandwidth from the cell. But if you're right on the edge of a, a populated area outside the suburbs, there'll be more people out there naturally. They'll they'll probably you know have to share that capacity with whatever they have at that moment. And over time, the capacity per square mile will go up because we'll be adding again. L, S, and C bands are other frequencies so with smaller cells that have more density, right? We'll be adding capacity. That'll, the answer will change, and more and more services will come on. But I suspect that Netflix will, will be something that will be the last thing yeah. ever you get. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a real first-world problem. I'm on a desert island. I can't get fucking Netflix. I don't it's think a world it's coming a first-world problem. <laughs> that's exactly what you want to do on a desert island because you've got well, nothing else to do. Hello and welcome to another telecoms.com podcast shot strangely on a Tuesday. I don't know if we've all recorded. Is it shot, shot have, and recorded? We have done them early in the week. Have we? We did one on a Monday morning once, if you remember, did we? with Ronan Kelly. from. Was that a Monday morning? Yeah. yeah, where even we didn't drink. We didn't then. drink, yeah. Um, and the reason we're doing it on a Tuesday is because we were made uh, aware that our very special guest, who is Charles Miller, who's the CEO of Link, which does direct satellite director phone technology, um, was in town because we have a mutual friend in friend of the pod, Mary Clark. And she's got in touch while we were out last Thursday and said, I'm not going to do a Mary Clark impression. Just, <laughs> uh, <laughs> come on, come on. Go on. She, went, she went, Charles is in town, Scott. <laughs> Sorry, Mary. Um, that's presumably as shit as all my, all my other impressions. Except that by this stage, she would have said fabulous at least once. <laughs> Um, and yeah, and we first heard about um, Link uh, through Mary when she was on the pod a few years ago, pre-pandemic. Everything's pre and post-pandemic. And and I remember her, we, we had a little. It was when she was she'd finished uh, uh, Synchronos, mm-hmm. and she was doing this and that, and and she introduced it. And you know that was when I first got my head around this satellite director phone, uh, which we'll get into the specifics of it in a bit. I've definitely and, not got my head around it. So. Yeah, well there we are. Well, uh, who better? To help you get your head around it and CEO of a company that specialises in it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, and she was like, he's only around Monday and Tuesday. And so we had a quick check of the of our incredibly busy diaries. Um, and when, and when we got a window on Tuesday, so and so did you. So hurrah. Um, so here, here you are, Charles. You're welcome. It's great to meet you. We've written about you in the past, and, and I think my colleague Andrew's uh, interviewed you at Mobile Congress, but it's the first time we've met, so it's great to have you. Oh, and we should uh, give give credit to Charles. He brought along some uh, Sierra Nevada, Clink, um, right. which is apparently from where you're from. My hometown where I grew up in Chico, California. So Chico, I, uh, There it is. I can see it on the bottom, Chico, California. So I told Mary I was going to uh, educate you guys a little bit on American beers, and we'll see how you like it. So yeah, what, yeah. What about this Chico? In it's in Northern California, Northern Sacramento Valley. Mm-hmm. Oh. So I remember I lived in San, San Francisco yep. a long, long time ago. Yeah, about three hours north and of San Francisco. You could get Sierra Nevada very easily there on, on, yep. on draft. And, that's yeah, decent, though. It's good. Yeah. Um, good. That's fun. high praise from. Yeah, I like it. It's funny, actually, you say that's high praise. I saw something on Twitter the other day where it was a, like, a translation of English, um, the things English people say for Americans. So something like decent, because we you know, tend to be more understated. Yeah. Something like decent, the translation would have been amazing. 
Um, anyway, there's this whole thing. I can't remember it, but it was it was quite funny. Whether you look at it from an English or American point of view of of our sort of typical understatement. Um, so yeah, so that's that. So we're going to get into that. But before we get into that, um, yeah, we've got a slight mea culpa. We were thinking of doing a pod last Thursday, um, but then we we realised late in the day that, that Pierre was out of the country doing half termy stuff. You knew that. Oh, I, I seem to remember you announcing it fairly late in the day, to be honest, mate. But, you know, we can go there if you want. No, I, I said it the week before. We can before. take it to HR if I you want. I'm I don't not, mind. I'm not, in, I'm not in London next week, so it was All definitely right. a week before. It was a week before. Okay, well, that's yeah, that's not that much <laughs> fucking notice, is it? <laughs> um, and, but, then, and, but then we'd already arranged a lunch for 12 so that we could get it done by 2 and then come and do the pod at the normal start time of 2. Um, but then we thought, well, we're just going to have to try and do it in the studio or, or not somewhere in the office, uh, remotely over Zoom because Pierre wasn't there. And anyway, in the lunch um, with um, a PR um, friend of ours who I've known for years, uh, called called Howard Jones, who who heads up the comms for uh, an, an alternate. Although most alternates don't like being called alternates, but Do anyway, um, you know, a, a, a smaller fibre builder and provider called Hyperoptic in the UK. Um, yeah, lunch was going on all right, and we got to about two, and, and Howard was like, well, we could we could just ask for another bottle of wine. And, you know, I, I don't take too much persuading on that. And then and then we'd arranged to do the Zoom with Pierre at three, and three, we still hadn't finished that bottle of wine, and it's still going smoothly. Cut a long story short, we rang up Pierre about half three and went, it's not going to happen. It was one of those rare examples. I mean, my employers might be listening to this and thinking, is this what I pay this fucking bloke for? But it's one of the rare examples of um, what used to happen a lot more, which is those lunches that just get a bit out of control. Our mutual friend, Mary Clark's very good at those. All right, getting out of control? Well, letting a lunch get out of control. No, she, I, I should hasten to add, never gets out of control. But she doesn't mind... get you in trouble. She doesn't mind a, she doesn't mind a, a protractid meal, let's put it that way. Okay. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it was a rare example of one of those. So just before we get into... Um, properly addressing uh, what it is that Charles does for a living. I just thought we'd, we'd quickly recap. We thought of doing a whole segment on it, but it's a very UK in the weeds thing and doesn't really, not something that I think, Charles, y- you could sort of form an opinion on one way or the other. So I thought I'd just touch it initially, partly because we were talking to Howard about it over lunch and said we'd bring it up. So mm-hmm. I didn't want to forget to, which is um, there was uh, a bit of news a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, um, that OpenReach has got this, which is the, the UK um, fixed line wholesaler. Owned by the BT. Dominant, owned by BT, the dominant fixed line wholesaler. Um, was looking to lower its wholesale prices through a tariff called Equinox 2. And Ofcom had to have a proper butchers at it. Um, there's one. There's another one, English versus American. Do you know what butchers means? No, it's, it's, I have no it's rhyming slang. It is, look, butcher's hook. Even okay. lots of Brits wouldn't know that. Yeah. Like, oh, butcher's is one, of the, more, the butchers one of the more common rhyming slang things. Yeah, but a lot of Cockney rhyming slang is fairly yeah, obscure, isn't fairly it? Fairly obscure. Um, uh, uh, there's one. In fact, I'm not even going to say what it stands for, but it'll be funny. I remember once telling this to a Cockney mate of mine who used to call people a burke quite a lot. Right. And I said, do you realise that's actually a lot more offensive than you think it is? And he's going, how's that? And I went, well, put it this way, it's derived from Berkeley Hunt. Yeah. <laughs> not, Ed, not Edmund Burke. Right? No. <laughs> okay. So we'll just leave that one there. Okay. Um, well, you use a lot of his whistle. Well, yeah, whistle, whistle and flute suit. Yeah, you're wearing your whistle today. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, what's going on? Oh, yeah. And so... Um, Equinox 2. Yeah, Equinox 2. 
And so basically the reason it's it's contentious is um, anyone who's competing with, directly competing with um, OpenReach, which is principally City Fibre, I think. Although I would have thought, I mean, does, does VMO2 do wholesale? That's a good question. I'm right. not sure. Well, neither of us know, then I feel right. certainly doesn't do wholesale. Yeah, yeah. Well, so exactly. Cut a long story short. Um, you know, we finally got around having sp- talked loads of shit, nothing to do with telecoms for a while, to asking Howard what the sort of hyperoptic position was on, on this Equinox 2. And he was going that they're fairly neutral on it, wasn't he? Yeah. Unlike City Fiber, who were really well, opposed to it. I and think you can the only danger why. for hyper, for a company like hyperoptic is that it has some impact on retail prices. So if you lower the wholesale, wholesale prices, and you can theoretically mm. make a bigger profit margin and yeah. drive down retail prices. I think hyperoptic's point is there's not a... There's not market evidence that that's happened that when you, which I, which mar- I, margin I, I don't for the quite retailers. understand that. Yep. To be honest with you, I would have thought there would be a knock-on effect, but he was saying that not that necessarily. hasn't necessarily happened, and therefore it's not necessarily a right. a bad thing for them. If it did drive down retail costs as well, then it would it would affect them obviously. Yeah, because that. They're not a wholesaler, but they're obviously a retailer. It's going to be one or the other. So, yeah, I so, thought that's interesting. I kind of assumed that the hyperoptics position would be similar to City Fibers, even though I had to be reminded. I, as the City Fiber seems times, to be the big opponent job, to it. Um, that hyperoptic, you know, it it's self-contained. It, it, it lays yeah. the fiber and it sells it. Yeah. Whereas some people only sell it like Sky Broadband or something. And some people only wholesale it like OpenReach. Yeah. Whereas, whereas companies like hyperoptic have a bit of both. And so City Fiber, they've uh, they're headed up by an American chap, um, and he doesn't mind making his voice heard. Greg Mesh. Greg, Greg Mesh, and so he sends out these sort of quite boisterous press releases saying how out of order it all is. Yeah, but there's, and he might be right, but there's so much self interest baked into it that I can't help but take it with a pinch of salt in that particular case. Well, whether it's right or not depends on whether you're on BT side or the alternate side. Kind of, there's not a lot of there's a bit of middle ground, like hyperoptic, and I think Talk Talk came out with an interesting release saying. Um, some actually, some of I shouldn't repeat it because some of it was on background. Some of the oh, stuff right. they put in their email, but oh yeah, and, and I don't know how on background it was, but they they seem to be quite neutral on on the effect yeah. of it. So, but yeah, I got that same email. I mean, the retailers, the, the companies that are buying from from OpenReach and, and and likely to be customers of Equinox too, are obviously going to applaud it. So yeah. that's that Sky Talk Talk, indeed. Um, yeah, it's come to think of it, yeah, whether it was a background or, or official, the talk talk aren't going to go, oh God, that's really out of order that we got to pay less. Yeah, for our for our wholesale connectivity. So anyway, that's a, that's a, the real thing I wanted to do, is, especially as we as we bailed out of the pod last Thursday. I wanted to give uh, give Howard a shout out. Cheers, mate, and Hyperoptic a shout out, and and just cover that thing. I I think it's I think it's interesting from a quite in the weeds regulatory point of view and, and it wasn't necessarily intuitive to me that a company like Hyperoptic would be quite sanguine I th- about I, the whole I thing. mean my my sort of summary of it would be the worry is that um, the kind of market worry is that you potentially you know reinforce BT's dominant position and yeah. Um, and the whole can, point of having these old nets coming into the market and, the, and it was made quite easy for them I think a few years ago was to sort of have a more competitive yeah. broadband market but maybe all it's done is put pressure on open reach to invest and um and we end up in a situation where it still has 80 yeah. or whatever percent of the market well it, it obviously needs regulating because if open reach has the, presumably the scale and the deep pockets to get into a price war to drive competitors out yeah. which i'm not saying it wants to do that but it could and that's where we need regulators to keep an eye on this i mean i think the government's priority is to have gigabit everywhere 
And yeah, as long as they can regulate they really it about. and, and, yeah. and, the, and the market sort of works, they're less bothered about there being dozens of alternates up and down the country. But the alternates serve their purpose by getting BT to kind of make Keeping these investments. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, look, Terry, we're rude of us to go on about something that's got absolutely nothing to do with you, Charles. So, <laughs> so we'll, we'll knock it on the head there. Although, you know, if, if we get to the end and, and we feel there's still some... There's still some um, business that needs doing on that. We can always come back to it. So, Charles, I've learnt now not to try and introduce people when they know more about what they do than I do. So why don't you just start by telling us um, who you are, um, what your job is, and, and what your company does as a, as a sort of top-line thing. All right, Grill. Great. Thanks, Scott. Um, so I'm the CEO of Link, and that's spelled L-Y-N-K, and those of you listening can... Check us out at our website at link.world. And someone we, link.com, are they? Yeah, someone else has got it. So. Got to. So to, don't go there. So, no. So, um, I'm going to know. We have, uh, know Link is. Is in, uh, figured out a long time ago, 2015, that satellites could actually connect directly to standard ordinary mobile phones. And we figured out over a period of years how to connect to standard ordinary mobile phones without any change of the phone. We had to solve a number of problems, including the fundamental physics of the link budget that conventional wisdom was wrong, but you could do it. And so we're the world leader in it. Um, we have uh, the world's only patented, proven, and commercially licensed satellite cell towers in space, right? We're operating three... Uh, satellites in orbit today that are commercially licensed to start providing commercial service. We've signed, I think, it's 34 contracts with mobile network op operators around the world to provide this service. And uh, last week we had a, an event with Two Degrees in New Zealand, and they announced they're rolling out Link service to provide universal coverage in all of New Zealand later this year. You seem to be doing well in New Zealand. I saw a press release today from Spark. Well, yeah. So I wasn't going to say that. I Sorry, didn't know it come out. So they yeah, spark, it's spark. You know, is going to do it too, <laughs> right? So Sorry. So uh, that you know, so that's our next uh, you know uh, partner. So uh, two two MNOs uh, in New Zealand providing it. So we've been we're testing in twenty four countries. We've proven this technology um, on every continent of Earth. We had a NASA scientist go down to Antarctica in December take his glove off in Antarctica and send and receive a text message to space, right, on his mobile phone. And so this is, uh, we're connecting thousands of standard, ordinary mobile phones, no chains of the phone, um, you know, uh, not on, on a, a daily basis. Not a special chip. Or... Not a special chip, no software. You're... Is, there, is there ground equipment that allows you no, to do no, that? There's nothing? No, no, no. Okay. Well, there's space equipment. There's space equipment. Space equipment. It's, yeah. uh, it's your, your mobile phone and everybody listening to this, you have a mobile phone in your pocket, will work today. Uh, connecting to our satellite. It okay. thinks our satellite is actually a ground-based cell tower. It's, it mimics and is backward compatible with existing 3G PP protocols in the phone. And so this sounds like amazing, you know, claims, but uh, Imanos have been challenging us and testing us. So Two Degrees did testing in New Zealand and it worked. Optus in Australia announced that they'd done the testing and worked. Globe in Philippines did it. Rogers, many others have done it. So, you know, most of them have not announced it, yep. but this is working today. So the fundamental engineering and physics works, the, the, but it opens up a whole bunch of other questions, right? The, yeah. So we, this solves a big problem in mobile wireless, which is, you know, you can't, you know, afford 
to build mobile ground-based cell towers everywhere. The, the operational costs is, alone will kill you, right? Uh, you'll just be losing money on the power and the backhaul and the, and the maintenance costs. So, um, you know, satellites are almost all fixed costs. So they're um, is basically, if you've studied business, it's a really uh, close to zero marginal cost business. So it will can provide. It's going to provide coverage everywhere right, to so everybody. Just to clarify, by, by zero marginal cost, cost, because I'm just a journalist, not CEO, yeah. I don't necessarily know what these terms. You mean once the sort of capex, the initial cost of getting it and launching it's up there, right? that there's very little incremental cost. So, is that yeah, what you meant? Absolutely. So yeah. like... There's uh, no weather up there. There's, there's no. no weather. <laughs> so there's... Let me give you an example. So ground-based cell towers have to pay for electricity and power. It's a big... It's a major part of the operating costs. Our power is solar cells in space. It's all fixed. It's We don't pay for it, right? So the backhaul... Get some good You'll pay backhaul. That, so. In many cases, it's operating costs. So it's yep. ours. We provide our own backhaul. It's all fixed. So we have... Fundamental. We can always drop the cost, even emerging markets, to a price they can afford, and we make money. So. So you said you said all that raises lots of other questions, which is obviously what we intend to fire at you yeah. over the course of the next hour or so. One one thing I should mention is I tried to get onto Link.com, and it says five oh four gateway timeout. Well, you so well, they're, whoever, they're rubbish, then aren't they? Whoever is yeah, Link.com <laughs> might be might be bust. So this might be a time to swoop. <laughs> If okay. You still fancy right. that URL, right? But so the, I just thought I'd point that out. Yeah, they, I, they tend else, to be Charles? very expensive when I'm selling you their. Yeah, website, they're cyber right? squatting. Right, right, that. right. Yeah, yeah. Cyber squatters. What, what, what's the sort of genesis of the of the technology? You know, you're saying that you're the only one that has these patents that allow right. you to do this, and I mean, are there, are there other people now attempting to do? Because direct to sat direct to phone from satellite is an expression that's getting used. Right. I mean, is there a well, I think, first of all, I think uh, direct-to-sell is garbage as a, as a way to describe it. People go, what's a cell, right? People know what the phone is. Well, yeah. I have a phone in my pocket. Do you mean direct-to-that? Yeah. So that's for the benefit of everybody out there. If you re We need to educate the end user, the consumer, like what this is. And if you just confuse them, you do nobody a favor. So sat-to-phone is by far the best descriptor of what we're doing. Yep. Not direct-to-sell, like what's no, that mean? Because there's no cell tower. There's, there's no cell involved in this at all. There's no but cell. some companies would be doing that. They'd right. be going to a cell. So is that a cell tower on the ground? You know, every so satellite. Are we comparing this to like Starlink, LEO? Right. They put cells on the ground, right? No, that's different because right, okay. Starlink right. has... Uh, ground-based equipment, don't they? They have satellite yeah. dishes, and it's mainly about sort of broadband use. So I was just Sorry, wondering what you were that, comparing but... it to, if there's another satellite paradigm, apart from well, this direct-to-phone. I'm, I'm wondering they... if there are other companies doing, some, well, doing so, the same like, thing. Well, so this is the, the very fascinating thing. thing. We figured this out in 2015. The origin story is um, my background, I'm a serial space entrepreneur. I've been in the space industry 30 years. I've seen almost everything. And I, but I was convinced there was a huge inflection point coming created by Moore's Law and low-cost access to space with small satellites. Kind of like the personal computers in the 70s. Um, when they started building them, nobody knew what they would be used for, right? You guys struggle with this all the time. What's the tech going to be used for? In 1977, mm. personal computers were coming off the assembly line, and people said, what are you going to do with them? Well, you'll play games and maybe put mother, mom's recipes on it, right? That was apocryphal, right, at then. But that was very dated, mom's recipes. It wasn't dad's recipes. But that was the <laughs> thing. But we figured out all the killer apps later. Yeah. So the spreadsheets, word processing, email. We always email. find a way of using the Right. We figured, it, you know, so I said the same thing's going to have in, happen in small satellites. So I started looking for the killer app for small satellites. And one member of our team who is uh, her co-founder, Margot Deckard. She was actually doing analysis of the use of satellites in Africa for the Ebola crisis. 
and was, cr you know, crazy. It wasn't scalable. It was uh, in Marsat Began terminals. And they're just, you can't give every public health work in Africa a, a Began terminal, right? It's just not affordable. A Began terminal, is that an old school satellite phone? Yeah, with the well, big aerial? It's actually was DSL speeds, antenna to a satellite in orbit that you could take, walk in the jungle, put in a backpack. Right. And it was just very expensive, yeah. not scalable. And we knew that from the start, but she was doing the data analytics, and she saw for the donors who were paying for this um, that that most of the public health workers who were doing this Ebola crisis help were just doing messaging. And she, she was a, also an engineer as well as an emergency responder, and she came back and said, you know, if we just lowered the data rate, maybe right. we can collect directly to so a phone. So they were getting DSL rates, but they didn't need it. They didn't time. use it. It was right. like... They were most of them were just 80, 90 percent were just doing messaging only in the middle of the jungle in Africa. And <coughs> you could do everything you wanted with messaging. Right. You could say this is how many disease, you know, people I uh, tested yeah. today, how many had it. We need blankets. We need these medicines. This is how much it all can be. a how, how long ago was this? When, when this, this was in uh, late uh, 2014. OK, so she was doing then she came and said, hey, do you think you could connect a phone? And I went to our engineer, um, other co-founder, Ty and who invented the, a lot of the key technology that we're going to talk about. And I asked him, Ty, what do you think? Can you connect a satellite to a phone? And he looked at me, he goes, there is no way you can do that. <laughs> right. So, so we, it like, like, you know, good start. Right, that, I thought you were going to say, there's nothing I cannot do. Yeah. <laughs> he said, there's no way. He said, not, he said so, don't ever question me again. So I looked at him and I go, why not? Right. <laughs> and he kind of, kind of grumped at me. <laughs> Well, I'll show you. I'll go do the link budget, and we'll up, you know, and you'll see. And he came back, and so this is the the fascinating thing: the he internet exists. Between his so legs. he had he was a satellite guy. Worked at JPL. He knew the satellite stuff great. He just didn't know the link margins and gains of everything in the mobile phone. But that's on the internet now. So he just he connected the dots. He put together the entire <laughs> link budget, and he came back and he goes, you know. I was wrong. You actually can connect two ways. It's easy to go to the downlink from the satellite. You just increase the power and broadcast. But you can't change the phone, right? No extra power, same uh, really small antenna in the phone. Can you connect the uplink? And the answer was, yes, you could. And so that's where we start in 2015 when that analysis that this is something that nobody in the world knew that you really could do this. And we set about, took us a couple years to figure out how do you do this without any change of the phone? So that yeah. took us two more years, and that led Which to the Which seems absolutely critical because, I mean, the amount of extra churn and obstacles and that sort of thing that would get involved in trying to persuade chipset makers or, or handset makers right. to incorporate your technology is a completely different... Right. No hardware it? change. It has to use the existing radio chips in the phone. It has to... No software change. How do you do that? We figured that all, all out over the next two years, and that's when we set up a separate company. Do you need to, like bigger ears in the satellite? To... So, well, yeah, you need to have a bigger antenna in the satellite. How you do that, you had to, uh, you know, convince yourself that how you do that, that was, you know, that was existing technology. You didn't have to invent new technology. You didn't need some humongous satellite. And the truth is, is if you knew your engineering, your satellite engineering, your physics, you could start with, you know, relatively smaller satellites. We have a one meter by one meter phase array antenna. That's good enough yep. um, to start with. It's like this table. <laughs> a little bit bigger than this table, but not that big, right? Mm. So, And so it's totally within the realm of, of a possibility. And you be, have to be really, you know, care about physics, right? 
you cannot lie to the universe and, and just <laughs> hand waves a lot. You know, there's a lot of hand waving going on in, in this industry as well as the satellite industry. But, you know, reality will bite you. You cannot fool reality. So you have to be start with first principles. And that's what we did. So, so the next stage after this sort of after he'd come around to, you know, realizing it could be done and gone and looked at the Internet. And right. it was actually then about designing a satellite. Right. From so the, the well, the first next two were the next two big challenges. How do you use existing radios in this in the satellite without changing? So we invented what, uh, you know, um, the reverse of ATC with complementary space component, we called it which is you use existing ground-based spectrum, but you fill in the black spots, putting beams down from space in three dimensionals without causing harmful interference. We figured out how you could do that in theory, right, in, in, from 20, in about 2016. In theory, we had to prove that later. We proved it to the FCC. So this is, this is using regular spectrum that's used for cellular comms. Yeah. Be using it for your use case and not interfering with... And not interfering. So the, the key insight here is that existing ground-based towers actually overlap and interfere with each other a little bit, but they allow it if you follow the power flux density and the overlapping cell that, you, that you're beaming into doesn't exceed a threshold of the power flux density limits. You can do the same thing from space, and as long as you don't exceed those limits, you're using the same rules to prevent... Um, harmful interference, and that's what we've been doing. You can put down a beam from space, and, and it's just changing two-dimensional thinking to three-dimensional thinking. This is, this is ringing a bell. Maybe, you know, I, I sort of forget these things. Part, part of it's my age, and part of it's being a journalist. You sort of cover stuff and then forget about it. Or you? maybe it's the drinking the beer. And it could be. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure drinking the beer sort of uh, complicates the previous two things that I was talking about. <laughs> But I've got a feeling that we might have had like a Zoom interview or something in the past. Because we, we talked about this in the past. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know you probably remember better than me. Yeah, but, but uh, you need um, to repeat it a few times. Remember. And um, so. and one thing that's 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 sort of jogging my adult brain is you talking about getting FCC or other regulatory sign off on some some right. of this technology. Right. Which I think around that time you were expecting. Well, they it. thought we were crazy at the start when we came in and started talking to them, and I think it was 2018. It's like we could do this. They're saying, you can do what? And we, we started explaining. And so we just kept on talking to them. They gave us, and then they eventually gave us an experimental license, said, prove it. Don't cause harmful interference. We did it. We were monitored by major U.S. MNOs that we weren't knocking people off the network. Um, and uh, over a period of years, we proved it not only in theory, but empirically that you could do this without causing harmful interference. Put down a beam, an existing spectrum already in the phones and provide a useful service. So, hmm. And then the FCC was tracking this all the time, and that, building that trust, we're not just BS artists, right? We're actually doing it, right? This, this is, uh, you know, we think is critical, but the FCC came around and gave us the world's first commercial license for sat to phone um, last September, right? So the, on, the world's right. only commercially licensed sat to phone provider in, in, in the world today. And yet I've heard... Um, again, I'm having to sort of uh, dig through the cobwebs of my memory. I've heard of other providers of this sort of thing. Like we've had announcements, which you'd always be acutely aware yeah. of. There was an Apple one a little well, while ago. The Apple one's with Global Star, isn't it? How yeah, would yeah. how would that be be different in terms of the technology? Because as I understand it, that's well, it apparently works with my phone. Which right. Is well, they had to add so a, a chip to your something. phone that uses right. the Global Star spectrum. 
Okay. Right. So it's so first of all, it's wonderful. It's going to be a life saving service. You hear stories about it. So yeah. uh, um, and and so it's but it's really the Global Star Network It's 24 satellites at a very high LEO orbit, 1400 kilometers. It's great for them. It's going to it's much better business for them. They've been struggling. Good friends over there. We really like the Global Star folks. But uh, it's it's limited, extremely limited in capacity and speed. It takes about they, according to Apple, 20 seconds pointing at the sky. Very, very limited use case. Um, it's uh, to every extent we can see. It's uh, one-way communications. Maybe validates that the message, the emergency alert, got through. Um, but the emergency responder can't send you back in a, a, a question and say. And, and and ask you questions, right? Right. At least now, it's not two-way communication, so it's very limited, very limited uh, speeds. So it's limited to. So it's just like an SOS signal. It's an SOS yeah. signal, and it's great. So yeah. that should be, but it's so much more as possible by this. And so Link saw this way, you know, six years ago. He said, "We we we don't want to do just do that. Our ultimate vision." Which is hard, but all the engineering economics is there. Is the end use case is everywhere, everyone connectivity, broadband speeds. And when I say broadband, I'm talking maybe ultimately 10 megabits a second. Okay. Everywhere on the planet, right? But you forgive me for butting in. You're pretty sure of that. You're not the physics and the economics support it, but it's not there immediately. You got to you got to incrementally step up. Just yeah. like you went from 2G to 3G to 4G to 5G. Totally. We will get. Faster and faster speeds. So Everything kind of, in the engineering and economics and the physics allows us to get there. And what? Yeah, and and this is this is fine. I mean, this is you know, this is something I wanted to ask you about. And it leads on to it, but also I'll stress that I completely get your point about Rome wasn't built in a day right. and all that sort of thing. But what is the kind of um, bandwidth we're talking about currently? Well, the the existing satellites we have up there can do. Um, Within a beam, have a, a really limited. You're limited by the capacity per beam, right? To to that you put on the ground, and so it's you have to share that capacity. So if we're we're doing uh, five to fifteen megabits a second, assuming we have ten by ten megahertz of LTE, tell me how much bandwidth we have. That limits it. So right. assuming conventional LTE ten by ten megahertz, we're doing maybe average of ten megabits a second. You know, fifteen megabits a second in the beam. And but you have to share that, mm. right? So, if you give one 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 person, you know, ten megabits, that you're, you're knocking everybody else off, right? Yeah. So that's one reason you start from from messaging, not because you can't technically do it, right? But it's because you want to make sure you share this capacity as widely yeah. as possible. If someone dies because you you watching gave Netflix, yeah, you know, watching Netflix, and it, and everybody else is knocked off, can't get on. Someone dies because they can't send an you know a message. That's on you. And your your point about messaging, because when I first learned about this, I was like, oh, okay, so it's not like proper mobile broadband. But it does occur to me, and certainly watching like how my kids use their phones, you were talking about, you know, back in emergency use in, in Africa, people don't ring each other up anymore. Um, so most of the times, interpersonal communication is by messaging right. these days. My kids don't know how to answer a phone. No. So. Well, they send WhatsApp videos. And every now and then, like, someone like my dad will ring me up out of the blue, or Strandy. Yeah, um, he's very old-fashioned. Um, and... and and it's it's already a given given that I grew up at a time when I was ringing up my mates on on a landline when I was you know yeah um, when I was in my teens or whatever um, it already feels jarring for someone to just ring you up out of the blue you like almost ring up at yeah. your door and announce yeah exactly I mean like you know what we do at work for example is we'll go you know is now a good time to talk and then you'll 
Yeah, you'd then you take them up. What, what what needs to happen though to get the, the 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 bandwidth up and ensure that you're not running into constraints as the user base grows? Do you need to do you need to produce new satellites that are more sophisticated or the ones that are already up there? Can they be kind of well, the, adjusted by well, the, so first of all, we are starting in UHF. Our we're you know we're existing spectrum in the phone from like seven hundred to nine hundred sixty. We can actually do six seventeen to nine sixty, but the market is kind of telling us, well, we don't care about the six hundred megahertz. But um, all all our MNO partners are really in the seven hundred to nine sixty band, and so all those thirty four contracts are starting there. But we we eventually will go into other bands, but we just have to do a small tweak to our satellite. You can't you can't do a software defined phase array antenna and take the hardware elements out. At least I don't know how to do that. No one's doing that yet. So you have to tune the hardware to the the general area in the spectrum you want. So we but we can build another version of our cell towers in space with with higher frequency. We were talking to lots of partners about L band or S band or C band. Um, that we could do uh, that. So we think eventually it goes there. That takes longer. It's more expensive. Letter bands. I wish it's just higher frequencies. That. That's yeah. what they do. Yeah, that's uh, satellite they, they get, guys do. They get used more in satellite, don't they? The right, letter right. things right. they do in, in the sort of I was, doing, I was writing something world. up the other day and they, they were talking it. about so, these letter yeah. bands. And so L band is, is between one and two gigahertz, and right. S band is a two plus, and then C band is kind of three plus, right, gigahertz. Which is the only one that I'm aware of that sort right. of gets used in a terrestrial. See, that's the other thing that's annoying. It's not sequential. What We go from L to S. What happened to MNOP? Right. I mean, Come on, everyone. Someone messed that up a long time ago. So, <laughs> yeah. so it, but that eventually happened. But as you guys know, it's hard to get all the phone makers to add the spectrum to their phone. So that we think that eventually happens, that you'll convert more and more spectrum to this. We think the demand is so large and the public benefit is so large that you persuade over time, you know, you know, moving. Now, the hard part is which, you know, all the... And I'll use it. LS and C band companies that have that spectrum all saying, oh, "Me, me, me," and yeah. right, and and that confuses yeah. people. So there, it's to be worked out who's next. Um, and you know, Link is is talking to all these different companies, and and we'll build a you know a version of our satellite. We're going to start with UHF. It's in every phone around the world. Yeah. Start with what people need. But over time, you know, we'll add an L or S or C, and we think eventually. It may be all of the above, right? It'll be so. It's the same thing. The ground networks you have low band, mid band, and high band. You'll have that in space too. That creates, you know, more capacity, more speed, and more resiliency and redundancy. Presumably, as you go up spectrum, just like you do with regular cellular stuff, <laughs> you get the sort of propagation challenges. I mean, yep. there must be there must be a frequency above which clouds are an issue. Presumably. Well, yeah, the higher frequencies you go, the more yeah. water moisture impacts yeah. you. UHF is great. That. Yeah, exactly. KA band really sucks at, you know, dealing with storms and water in the atmosphere. So that, you know, it's uh, it's uh, it, it is an issue. So but the higher frequencies are smaller cells. So which more is more capacity per square mile? Would you get it? Put the same capacity in a smaller cell, but they use more power. So there's all these trade offs. Right. So, so the services that are being that you've already the, the deals that you've announced with um, two degrees, isn't it, and Spark? Right. In the first instance, the people who are using that, what would they be doing with it? Is it going to be very much a kind of text text um, messaging? Well, that we absolutely think, to, is, yeah. and, and our MNO partners agree. You start with messaging, that for people who have nothing, 
Messaging is infinitely better than nothing. So yep. you start there. People are will, willing to pay for messaging. You guys probably remember back in 2012 before WhatsApp and iMessage disrupted messaging and started forcing MNOs to give away for free. It was a huge business. Yeah, SMS, it was yeah. $200 billion a year for messaging. And you'd revenue. get a certain fixed number of texts as part of your contract, wouldn't you? Yeah. yeah. And, well, and it, it, I think it's unlimited. Can you imagine keeping the, count and going, oh, shit, now I'm, it's like, I'm on my 99th right. text this month. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, so they don't give it throw it away now, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, and, and that's two way. That's proper two that's way two messaging. Way. Yeah. So, so yeah. The, the issue with global star, just to, just to be clear in my own mind, is that you can only sort of send a signal up to the satellite. It's so far, I, one way, and it's I, really limited because they they actually have to go through some menu of very of saying what your emergency is, and they put a very low data rate code up saying what you right. know, what you answered. So it's really not and a full SMS yeah. even one way. It's right. so limited. It's like a little menu system. And I know you're I know you're not in any way um, denigrating their offering. I love it. it. It's uh, yeah. I think it's uh, it's made what we've done very credible that that Apple and others have come in. Yeah. You know, the you know back in, direct to phone, it makes in it 2017, when we started talking to people, people thought we were crazy. They said, oh, you can't do that. Yeah. So, These guys have been spending too much time but, in space, they thought. Presumably the chip in the in the iPhone 14 that allows you to do this is tailored to Global Star's yeah. system. Mm-hmm. So they, okay, sorry. Yeah. Come on, but, try yeah. and keep up. It's a beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, by the way, just tuck into those. I don't want to nick all the Sierra Nevadas because I want to give I'll, Charles I'll, a fair crack at are, are there people actually using it at the moment? Has anything been launched or is it we sort of pre-launch in terms of consumers actually on a service where you've had people sending text messages and it's used your your, your three satellites? Well, we've been, our MNO partners have been testing it yep. and they're getting ready to roll it out. They're figuring out like their go-to-market strategies. Uh, two Degrees in, in uh, New Zealand is kind of announced, uh, you know, their go-to-market strategy. They have Billboards all over New Zealand talking about no giant weight, you know, emphasizing that Link is coming in 2023, that that we're years ahead of everybody else. It's great that a bunch of people are jumping in, but again, we're years ahead ahead of everybody else, and and our you know MNO partners see that, and uh, Two Degrees has made that part of their you know the go to market strategy. Why are the Kiwis so keen on your stuff? Well, 50% of New Zealand has no connectivity, and then you, that's just the land. If you really? go out on, uh, there's, a huge, on like the there's, there's a huge amount of boaters in New Zealand. A large percentage of uh, well, the Americans, Kiwis yeah. like go out in maritime, and they have, that's a big problem, right? So this is, your mobile phone is going to be, it's going to keep you connected out on the water. And, and they do crazy adrenaline sports where right. you might run into problems. So, yeah, you know, you're, you're doing bungee jumping. Swan and, diving off a cliff. Right? And things like that. So. Yeah. Um, and you're so halfway down, you can just text, oh, shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> huge mistake. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm here in, here in the UK, away. our research is that Scotland probably has the most disconnectivity. Right. right? That right. would probably be the biggest use of what we're doing. Right. So be we've been equipment. testing here in the UK. We've, uh, okay. you know, we've, we've, uh, Ofcom has been very supportive. Uh, the UK Space Agency has given us a little bit of funding to develop some of the use cases for this. So it's been a... We're good at handing out small amounts of funding. (laughs) (laughs) Are 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 they sort of, um, you know, with three satellites, do you have connectivity issues at the moment? I mean, is there a moment when you have to be within, you know... So it's periodic. We need about a thousand satellites for continuous service. So part of the solution here is you bring the satellites down in lower, low Earth orbit, and they have a much smaller field of view. You're closing the link two ways. But you have a smaller field of view, and these satellites are passing over the Earth like 
painting, uh, you know, the Earth looks like a ball of yarn. They, you know, eventually every satellite cover, covers every part of the Earth, but only a little bit at a time. So it's periodic. So it's like a grid on the outside. And you need about a thousand to have continuous service. Right. Right. Now the insight here is you don't have to wait like OneWeb and Starlink to get the whole network up to start a service. You can start doing messaging because messaging is mostly asynchronous. You put out a message, you forget about it, maybe 30 minutes later, 15 minutes later, you get a message back. You don't even think about it, right? So it works well for messaging. It it sucks for voice or broadband. It's like your your broadband or voice went off, went on for two minutes and went out for 15 yeah. minutes. That would suck. Okay. So you don't even though we could do it, that's just a bad user experience. So we'll wait till we have continuous service and we'll turn those on. So. And you've got three satellites now. We have three. Only 997 to go. Yeah, but we have the only three in the world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we'll go through four, 15, 100, 200. So what, what's the rollout schedule, though? Because it's quite ambitious to go from three to a, to a thousand. Right, so it it's, like it. it's, you know, it's mostly limited by uh, raising capital. I was going to say, this is a patient capital game. Right, this. this is a patient capital game. So it's, it's uh, you know, we've proven the tech. We've proven the business. We have the only license. We have the patent. So... We just uh, add, add uh, you know, private capital and repeat, right? So Build a lot, a lot of your more. work is talking to investors at the moment to yeah, raise yeah. the funding about, yeah. for it. But yeah. we've solved all the hard parts, yeah. and it's a huge, you know, market, right, in a trillion-dollar industry, yeah. right? And so, uh, you know, we have a lot of interest from investors. And, and the startup capital, can you say where that's come from, or is that kind of confidential to get you going you know right well you started it's the same traditional that every entrepreneur you start with seed capital yep. you start talking to more later stage venture capital and then you get into more growth stage capital and private equity so they talk about series b and yeah and yeah that. you've never done that I've never started. You never a started a business? No. You know, this <laughs> what is do you kind of, think, Charles? Well, this podcast is kind of like yeah. a project business. Well, we like to right. think we like to think we're a little startup within Informa, don't we? Right. Well, I said that. Yeah. Maybe I've said that. So. But when, when, now we like to think it. Now you bring it up. But you're not. But just on the on the thousand satellites, that's not the. Is that the end game to have a thousand? Well, we are, we have filed for five thousand satellites. So you'll right. at any time you'll have at least five satellites over your head. That adds more capacity and speed. The real limit on every, and it's the same thing for ground-based cell towers as well as Wi-Fi, but less so, is every every cell tower is capacity limited. And there is so much demand out there with 5 billion mobile phones in the world and the disconnectivity that it just swamps the capacity. That's why you have to do messaging to share the capacity, right? Until yep. we get up to a certain level, we'll have to limit what people can do. And ultimately, we'll be building bigger, faster satellites step by step and more satellites. And we will, you know, serve all the capacity that's in the world for broadband services everywhere. But it's really straightforward scaling the engineering step by step, you know, making a profit every step of the way, building the next generation that's mm. bigger, better, faster, step by step, and in a virtuous cycle. Is, is your sort of revenue stream, I mean, I know it's probably early days for that, but is, right. is it similar with the, the relationship between Apple and Global Star? It's like a sort of a, a one-off kind of fee, or do you get, sort of recur, you get a recurring Well, I'm not sure from... about the Apple and Global Star uh, yeah. business. It's, it's not totally sure clear. I don't think they've <laughs> announced that. But for, in our though. cases, we are... 
We are wholesale only. We only right. do partnership with M&Os. Yeah. We never go direct to consumers. There's other companies that have jumped in and are, are clearly direct to consumer plays. They're going to try to take subscribers away from M&Os. But our whole strategy is to only part with mobile network operators. They do a great job they, with their customers. We will never do a great job. We cannot understand the needs of subscribers in the UK yeah. or, or New strength. Zealand or Africa or Latin America. So we just want to be a great partner for M&O's, wholesale only. So it strikes me a big part of your pitch um, is that said M&O can really augment their coverage narrative. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, with an asterisk at the end, yeah. like, you know, if you're, at a, if you're on some remote Scottish island, don't expect to be sort of streaming right. Netflix onto your phone. Well, yeah. But, yeah, but, well, yeah, but... But what they can say, you know, we often get these stats um, thrown at us. You know, we've got 99% coverage, and then it always has to be qualified as a population coverage or geographical coverage. Right. And so this will really help them with their geographical coverage right. thing. But And they they never say, well, the 99% coverage is how many of those 99% have traveled into a remote area and are disconnected right now. They never talk to you about that. Right. right. So everybody knows that uh, people go into these remote rural areas and are disconnected. We we know we we put down beams over the over the UK um, with the permission of Ocom, and we see parts of even in London where phones are asking for a connection to our satellite because they're disconnected at the moment. They would never ask. If yep. they, and so there's disconnection all over all over. I am uh, the sometimes UK. shocked by not spots with yeah, London. I am. Oh, yeah, right. you're like, what the fuck Central is going on? London. Yeah. I had bad reception by the center point. And I was like, I'm in the middle of the map. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. And so, maybe your phone is one that tried to connect to our satellite during one of our tests. He is on so three, though, so his, his oh. hopes can, can't ever be too high. But, but someone wouldn't know, I suppose, if they're trying to connect to you. They wouldn't. They wouldn't see anything. Right. We, but, our, our satellite goes through the process, says, oh, you haven't paid up the, yeah. your, your fee, you know, go away. But we'll, yeah. we'll complete see, the registration process. And, and the incentive for MNOs to do it is, is literally just to have a, a better service? Or do some of them that have been in talks with you see a, an opportunity to charge a bit more for this and well, make it's both. money? It's so both. So there's okay. some of them that want to charge a premium service. Right. And so we, we do a revenue share arrangement with them, and they've split the revenue. And then there's some of them want to just give it away to their subscribers and, and not worry about it and have every subscriber. Now, you know, they pay us a usage fee, but the reason they're doing it is they're going to take subscribers from the other guy, right? Yeah. They're going to, like, that's how they're going to make their money. Yeah, it's just throwing it into the mix. Do we, a few, if some of those questions you've been asking been um, Teresa's ones? I hope so. Which so I should give a shout out. Oh, I was going to say we haven't acknowledged <laughs> Teresa. We've got someone in the, in the in the background, which is Teresa, our colleague, specifically uh, works on light reading. But we're all one big happy well, family, isn't it? She can't say because she's not on a microphone. But are they right. some of your questions? She's nodding. She's so, nodded. Yeah, okay. Um, I don't I know because Ian shared them before we started, and then there were a lot of excellent questions. Ther Theresa came out with all the questions, and I mean, okay. those are really good questions. Okay. I hadn't thought of you're any just, of this You're stuff, just so. the talent, right? He's you're just the, the talent. I don't know if I'm that either, but I'm just a guy who drinks beer on the pot. Right? <laughs> he's an actor. He's an actor. <laughs> um, good, because I was wondering, because um, I've got a slight 
I'm still on the same subject, but I've got a slightly different direction I wanted to go in, but I wanted to see if you... Well, I, I, was, I was going to ask a couple... I was yeah, going to ask one or two more. I was going to ask if you could see this going... I mean, is, do the laws of physics prohibit this, or is there a potential for this to be a Netflix streaming service in the future in, you know, in remote areas that aren't served? Well, this is the issue. So if, if you're in an area where there has very little population and, you know, we're putting down a beam in a very small area that's got 20 or 30 megabits a second or 50 or 100 megabits a second with more band. It depends on the bandwidth we're allowed. But if you're out in, on, an, on a desert island, we can use 100 megabits of bandwidth and we can give you amazing service, right? Yeah. And you're the only one there and you get it all, right? So it's, the answer is really it depends. Yeah. And this is another reason for M&O partnerships. They know their local circumstances better than we do. And they will figure out which service to offer, right? So the less density you have, the better service you'll get, right? And you, because you get more of that um, bandwidth from the cell. But if you're right on the edge of a, a populated area outside the suburbs, there'll be more people out there naturally. They'll, they'll probably, you know, have to share that capacity with whatever they have at that moment. And over time, the capacity per square mile will go up because we'll be adding again. L, S, and C bands are other frequencies so with smaller cells that have more density, right? We'll be adding capacity. That'll The answer will change, and more and more services will come on. But I suspect that Netflix will will be something that will be the last thing yeah. ever you get. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a real first-world problem. I'm on a desert island. I can't get fucking Netflix. I don't it's think a world it's a first-world problem. That's exactly what you want to do on a desert island because you've got well, nothing else to do. I was just picturing, actually, when, when Charles was talking about this sort of uh, having to fight over the bandwidth, a sort of Lord of the Flies situation on this desert island. A neighbour moves in and like, yeah. how do you get your internet? Uh, so you go, don't ask and, a, and a terrible tragedy, it appears he was killed because he was hugging the bandwidth. Um... <laughs> But, um, yeah, yeah. I, uh, sorry, I've still got my tangent, but let me f yeah, no, finish your stuff. Well, I was, yeah, and the altitude of the satellites, this is Leo stuff we're talking yeah, yeah. about, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, has this killed the business case for Geo, all the sort of Leo things that have come along no, recently? No, I think there's think? use oh, cases still... for Geo that's different. They yeah. are being kind of disrupted already. The, uh, Geo, the Every Geo satellite company now is trying to figure out their Leo strategy. But there are some advantages of Geo over Leo. Um, but uh, Leo is is kind of you know clearly eating their cake. Um, Geo's presumably got a bigger area of coverage for they, each satellite. You know they got it. They can they can have <clears throat> one satellite put down beams over a big area and just have all that those beams be allocated. And so I eventually think there'll be a mix. Everybody's struggling to figure out what that mix is. Mm. It's not a hundred percent sure. Um, what it is, but uh, all of the big geo operators, you know, are coming in to try to figure out their Leo strategies. You know, some of them have bought. You know, OneWeb got bought, right? Yeah. Um, and so uh, others, in part by the UK government, yeah, which is weird. It is weird. Right? Well, the UK actually bought in, and then you know, Utilsat bought them, and and has kind of pulled them away from the UK government, right? Because yeah. they want to go after the next the Gen Two OneWeb system. Looks like it may turn into to be the European Union, you know, okay. broadband satellite system, yeah. which is uh, yeah. UK Golden Share is kind of like, you know, is is uh, you know may you know may not bear much weight. 
We really oh, need someone who knows what they're doing on satellite because I miss so much of this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's useful. Well, that's it why we get useful. people on. We yeah. don't claim to know no, what we're talking about. But, and, and the, I mean, the economics are just a lot. What is it that's kind of propelled Leo um, recently? Is it is it sort of scientific breakthroughs or the economics make a lot more sense than geo? Because it's perceived well, to have come so off. first of all, frequent access to space and getting things up more frequently and, and more reliably have been a key issue. The, the advance, it's two inflection points going on. It's both lower cost of frequent access to space. And the other one really is Moore's Law coming to satellites, that the satellite, small satellites in low-Earth orbit are much more capable than they were. You can do things with a small satellite today um, that a decade ago was the size of a minibus and two decades ago was a, a school bus, right? right. So um, those those inflection points are, are you're coming to to space. I always like that illustration of, of, I suppose, Moore's Law, that, you know, in all our phones, we've got more power than powered the sort of... Um, the, the Apollo, Apollo land. Yeah, absolutely. Sort of thing. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. So th- those those things are coming. So um, you know, it's it's a it's a big breakthrough, and and uh, there's many different benefits of space that are are coming to everybody. Um, in this, I'm convinced. Sat the phone for those who are in the space and satellite industry, and I've been talking about this. Is going to become the largest category in space and satellite, really, because it's not really a space or satellite business. It's a mobile wireless business, which is a trillion-dollar industry, and it solves a problem in a much larger industry. Um, and the insight here for I share with satellite people is there's three categories of satellite services that, that actually billions of people use. One is GPS, right? You position everybody in up with a smartphone uses GPS whether they know it or not. Many don't know it, but you, the reason you can do an Uber, you know your yeah. position or you know on the map is because of GPS. And where right? the, most where a lot of people don't even know that. So the well, other one commonly used service as well because people use it for maps all the but time. But the, the, the key so. insight: billions use it, but you, nobody not as much as you should. <laughs> right? Nobody pays for it. Right? Yep. The government gives away for free, yep. so it's not a great business. Same thing for weather. It, billions of people use weather, like what's the weather going to be in the next several days, but nobody pays for that weather. Very few people do, mm. right? Some businesses might do some analytics um, for crop growing, but nobody has a phone, gets on their weather app and pays a fee no. for that, right? Yeah. So it's billions use it, nobody pays for it. So this is going to be the first service that's in the phone. Billions will use it and they'll pay for it, right? People pay for mobile wireless. Now, they'll pay less in other countries than they in developed versus developing, right? But they're willing to pay something. And so the insight here that um, that is completely changes what pre- previous satellite industry, you know, companies do, the marginal cost for sat-to-phone services is, is basically zero. So we, our satellites in low Earth orbit will be passing over every country on the planet. We might as well turn on the beam, that costs us nothing, and provide a service, and whatever whatever those subscribers yeah. and citizens can pay and afford the local pricing, we will pay, you know provide that service at that price. So we'd be we'd be throwing the capacity away, and yeah. it costs us nothing to do that. And whatever the local price is, we, it'll be affordable to them, and they will uh, they will get a service. So that zero marginal cost is a critical thing to yeah. understand why this is a big especially deal. with using solar panels and stuff. Yep. Um, can I ask one more thing? Go on then. What's, and then, what? then shut up. All right. What's 
The, the lifespan of these uh, LEO satellites, I mean, is there, a, is there a time when they have to be taken out of service? Right. So they're designed for seven-year lifetime. Right. Um, other satellites are designed for 15 years and go 20 years. But that is just, that's wasteful spending just to make a satellite, particularly when you're leveraging Moore's Law, last 15 years. So when we're, we're building satellites for seven years, probably we'll operate them for about five years and then retire them because the How'd next... How'd you do that? How'd you go up and get them? Oh, well... <laughs> they send Charles up in a right. spaceship. Because yeah, he knows all about space. Well, I used to have a satellite <laughs> servicing a company, so I know how to do it, but we'll just have propulsion on the on the satellites and deorbit them over the South Pacific, and they'll burn up in the atmosphere. Okay. And, uh, you know, just to be clear, if they died... <laughs> You know, they're in a very, the, one of the benefits to being what, very low LEO, it's, we call it a self-cleaning orbit, right? The atmosphere is actually there, it's tenuous. If you die in about a year or two, they do orbits, you know, naturally anyway. So okay. it cleans Whereas itself. Whereas up at Geo, it just sits there being space junk. Yeah, they, it's a right. big problem. And so, even higher LEO, they have satellites that are up there that died, you know. They're uh, still floating around. That they're so, flying around for many, many decades and cause right. problems. So the Iridium Cosmos crash between a Russian satellite and Iridium right. was a dead satellite, right? Crashing each other caused a big problem. Okay. I'm going to get completely yeah, out of my comfort zone here. So I have, I have yeah, a question too. Um, so those 997 satellites that you plan to launch, who's going to launch it? Well, right now we're launching on SpaceX. They're the most affordable company in the you know world and launching frequently. They just had their 200th launch in a row. Yeah, they're the most reliable, most affordable in the Seems world. Seems to be what you were talking about earlier about how space is more accessible. They're yeah, presumably a yeah. big part. Of they've, they've been launched. They launch. You're doing launches per week now, right? So mm -hmm. on, on occasion, you get launches per day, a couple launches a day. SpaceX is doing amazing things. Um, this is inflection point is continuing. There's a bunch of companies building reusable launch vehicles, and we're going to go to launches per day. And knock on wood, in our lifetime, um, I'm predicting it's not in the next five or ten years, but maybe 20 years, you get launches per hour. Is it a lot less um, expensive to launch something into low Earth orbit than... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because of the amount of propulsion. Right, needed right. To get that you, it's like, you know, just as a rule of thumb, it's about twice, maybe three times the cost to get the same mass to geo. From how, how high is geo then normally? What sort of altitude are it's, we talking uh, about? It's 25,000 miles. So. And LEO is like 10. You know, so you're thinking, well, where our satellites is about 300 miles. Right? Oh, right. Okay. Above the Earth. Wow, no, okay. but uh, kilometers, if you want to do in kilometers, well, 500 that's kilometers. That's really low. Yeah. So. Um, actually, while I'm getting out of my depth on, on space talk, um, when you were talking about um, Elio being a, did you describe it as a self-cleaning? Self-cleaning orbit. Yeah, if yeah. you keep, go low enough. Yeah. So, so does that mean it's, and I, I don't know if I'm using this term right, does that mean it's a decaying orbit? Well, yes, because the tenuous atmosphere is up there, and it's and it's and that you're hitting the atmosphere slowly. It, yeah. it uh, dec decays the orbit. So there's drag. Yeah, it's drag. Yeah, it's that's drag. a good thing. There's some drag. It's very light, but over time it builds up, and you start coming down, and it gets more and more drag, and more and more so drag. Does that mean it, that you need some kind of propulsion to keep it in orbit, or the amount of time it takes is? Coincides we, with the life. We will have propulsion, satellite. yes, to keep right. it them keep them in orbit. And you want propulsion to move it around. You want propulsion to deorbit at the end of life anyway, right? So that's uh, it's a, and it's a, a like a tank, I guess, and that's finite. Like there's no yeah, yeah yeah. But you build enough the tank large enough to handle handle all your needs for the lifetime of the satellite for you that those seven years. You can't get the propulsion running off solar energy. 
We're not that clever yet. Well, no, we know how to do that. Yeah. Right. Were you talking about a tank? Were you talking about fuel? Isn't so you, there's many, there's many, many different propulsion technologies, and and Link is studying a lot of them. And um, the but you use some would be chemical. Yeah. You could do nuclear. Nobody's doing that right now. But yeah, solar electric propulsion is is uh, um, there's a bunch of solar electric propulsion companies uh, operating. There's satellites in orbit today that use solar. Um, but that you know, there's lots of different flavors of. Does that still like rest. heat up water and spews water out? Like that's was... one. That's one of many dozens of right. of uh, different ways you could do propulsion. You could heat up water. You can heat up other types of chemicals. Uh, yeah, like what comes out the back, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the higher the velocity comes out, the 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 better efficiency you get. Yeah. Um, your uh, your talk about SpaceX gave me the segue to. Uh, um, bring up the thing that I want to ask about because obviously SpaceX is run by Elon Musk mm -hmm. and so is Starlink yeah that's what it's called isn't it yeah um and I was just wondering about your competitive positioning versus LEO players like Starlink like OneWeb and there are others that don't spring immediately to mind maybe you could tell me um they get obviously a lot more publicity Elon Musk's got most Twitter followers of everyone in the world he you know he, he get publicity just going to the toilet right um so how do how do you in, in terms of in terms of your business and your competitive positioning and your strategy how do you compare yourselves both in terms of how you communicate with the business like MNOs and then also to the outside world with the likes of Starlink and OneWeb So let's be clear so Starlink and OneWeb are um you know backhaul Wi-Fi backhaul to a to a user terminal right so that's a completely different category that's for people who can afford the 500 and now it's now it's bigger it's five and that was it used to be $500 now 550 or $600 upfront for the fee. dish and then 110 bucks a month right it's That's subsidized price that dish costs well a lot more than that so they subsidize it and they make it up on the payment you sign a long-term contract right so people in the UK and Europe and United States can afford that but not many other people so but that doesn't compete with us they're competing against you know um, you know, Intelsat, Inmarsat, um, a bunch, you know, and a bunch of uh, Viasat, Hughes, a bunch of other satellite companies for broadband. To, it's really non-mobile. You put a dish on your roof, right? Mm. Um, and and so you can't put the dish in your pocket, right? And and uh, so what you want is your phone to stay connected. So that's it's a completely different category. It's just Wi-Fi. You know, more available Wi-Fi in remote areas. And uh, it's non really non-mobile. Now, they're doing more and more non-mobile, but those dishes are even more expensive. And uh, you can put them on your boat and, and, and uh, other things. But it's – so that's different. Now, um, I'll – you know, since there's probably re people out there listening, you know, uh, you know uh, SpaceX jumped into our, our category last year and announced that they're going to do the same. That rings a bell. So, right. um, so that – so they, they, they want to do it all. They've, they uh, – you know, it's it's uh, really acknowledging that some of the the best companies in the world are saying that we want to. Well, we're going to. Me too. So we're years ahead, mm. and uh, we're. Say what you want about Musk? He doesn't lack ambition. He doesn't lack ambition. So he would do so, it on the same satellites, would he? Or he would need to do? No, no. He's going to do his own satellites. Do you need? Right, but not, so that, but not the Starlink ones that are already kind of there. Well, he might mix them. Their announcement that they're going to add the regular Starlinks and add another antenna that unfolds out of it to to do sat the phone. Right. Okay. Right. So they haven't done it yet, and they're you know they're quite a ways from doing it, but they've applied for a license to do it. Right. 
and they've declared they're doing a hybrid strategy. They've they've uh, have some MNO partnerships. They've also announced at Mobile World Congress Americas last year, a, a SpaceX person got on the stage and announced they're going direct to consumer. So uh, Elon is a direct a to consumer guy. So he's kind of. You know, it's uh, that's something for MNOs to consider, right? Uh, this is direct to challenging guy. the MNO business, right? Model, so, you know, he's going to do both, and that's what he is. He dis- disrupted banks, PayPal. He yeah. disrupted car companies. Uh, he cut out direct, Tesla's direct to consumer. Yeah, it? it's direct to consumer, and even Starlink is he doesn't sell through ISPs. He sells yeah, direct. Not to a big consumer. fan of the channel, Elon. He, does, he? he hates the channel. <laughs> he's like, why the hell would I let them participate in this? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it should oh. be about me. He's coming over as a bit megalomaniac, right? And you know, so the it's all about me. You talk about Twitter, no. like, but there's some me- <laughs> there's a method to his madness with Twitter. Yeah. It's a it's a, to his channel to do the direct to consumer business. Yeah, cool. yeah. Oh yeah, well we've yeah. had we've had chats about that. I've got. I mean, we'll see where we go, but it's not germane to this conversation, but. But he brags when about he free did, marketing, but actually the marketing cost him $40 billion, right? So. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I mean, he's, I think even he has openly admitted that he massively overpaid for Twitter. In right. fact, I think he was trying to well, be he a bit... Well, he had to in the end, didn't he? He was being a bit too much of a smart ass. I think he, he came out with some figure. I think part of the figure was linked to this thing they talk about in the States to do with smoking ganj. There's some date in the year for smoking dope. No, no, 420, that's when he wanted to take Tesla public years ago. No, he, he no, got, he got, thing, no, he got on, no, no, he got on a no. podcast and he, he, he smoked, uh, yeah, that was the some, Rogan thing. And the anyway, Rogan I, thing. I think part but of But you guys don't do that. We just drink beer here. No, no, we, no, we, no, we, no, we, no. we don't, we don't, we don't prove anything illegal on this part. No. Um, <laughs> It would be asking a bit much of our employers for us to skin up a fat dube. I don't think we get away with that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, Anyway, sorry, that was a bit of a tangent, wasn't it? I was going to ask another yeah, thing uh, about all the other sort of satellite options that are out there. What's what's Project Kuiper all about? Are they... it's a, so it's a follow-on kind of duplicate of OneWeb and, and Starlink with right. the a bit, an antenna. The Amazon one. And yeah. It's Amazon. Or, and or, so or they uh, they have uh, – Amazon has over a 1,000 people working on it. Um, okay. And they're talking about launching their first satellite later this year. Amazon is it's hugely competitive. And, uh, you know, so they've – bought a bunch of launches and they're t- talking about building and launching thousands they have a license for thousands of these and it's competition it's going to drive down the price yeah which is for good. this is good for everybody and they want to do they want to do direct to phone as well is that their plan? no we haven't heard anything about that okay. so they they might but i don't know that okay right i haven't so heard it's more anything. in the kind of more in the kind of sort of must buy satellite dish and right right now yeah. they're they're they have their hands full they announced many years ago they still haven't launched their first satellite so they i think they have to probably pay attention and you know to do what they've already, you know, chew what they've already bought off, which yeah. is right. Well, why do you think there's so much interest? Because we, we've talked about this before on, on, on the pod about satellites, that it's a relatively small percentage of the population that is not that covered. Needs it. It, and, and as you just said, in, in markets outside, you know, the US and the UK, where we can afford these expensive dishes. Well, I don't understand. So, search, so the truth is, yeah, so the satellite direct, the broadband satellite business, um, a year or two ago, I haven't seen the latest numbers, three million people, right? That's three orders of magnitude lower than the five billion people who have a mobile phone, right? Yeah. So I don't understand it. So, but it was the biggest, best thing that a satellite space people could think about, right? So that you know, it, between Amazon and OneWeb and Starlink, maybe they get the three million up to five million. That's that's I think that's completely realistic. 
you know, at the wildest dreams, I think they get it to 10 million users. But, you know, you know people can't afford this. It's hard right? to see the ROI on lobbing all those satellites up just from that TAM that you're talking about. Right. It's yeah. It's a it's a difficult yeah, it's two, a difficult business. Two uh, little right. acronyms in one right. sense. But it like, right. goes it's back to uh, you know they're they're beating each other up. They have a huge amount of capital, and it's really putting a lot of pressure on the geosatellite companies who were in this business. And uh, it's great for consumer. There's but uh, you know it's it's uh, it's difficult to see how an uh, pure investor you know makes a lot of money. But if you look at who's putting the money in. Now, uh, you know, they're, they're not doing this for pure investment reasons, right? And um, the peop- it's, Amazon will probably monetize because they, their business is built on broadband. They'll probably get benefits through that. They see a benefit. Uh, and the European government will probably, you know, UK, y- your tax dollars have helped fund OneWeb. Right, well, and so, something. and then the the European Union because they came in through Eutelsat. Sounds the rumors are that uh, the the Gen two one web system may become the European broadband satellite in you know company. But there's alternatives. But uh, so their tax dollars so may may fund the Gen two system of of one web. And then you know the uh, the consumers of Amazon are funding you know, a system, right? Do, do you think any of these guys have sort of aspirations to be to be really disruptive in terms of knocking the, the terrestrial networks to one side and being like a global operator that can do uh, a satellite-based broadband service economically and compete against the likes of BT doing fiber in London? I think in some of them are, they're all thinking about it, how they would do that. These these people, they, they, they uh, like disrupting. You know, Jeff Bezos is famous about saying, your margin is my opportunity. <laughs> Elon disrupts a whole bunch of stuff. Well, he know. prides himself in being an innovator disruptor. Um, so I think those are all things that uh, they're, they, if they can figure out a way, they'll, they'll certainly try. Did you see there was some, something we wrote it up, just a bit of journalism, which if you're not familiar with that term, it's us writing up someone else's journalism, hence journalism, um, about, I think it's, it was... It's, it's one better than plagiarism. Yeah. It's basically attributed plagiarism. <laughs> right. Um, about how Bloomberg had got some scoop about how Amazon was thinking of offering, at least in the States, uh, mobile contracts as part of Prime. Like, you know, you get video as part of Prime. Yeah. And then apparently that just... I think, when I that think Bloomberg, everybody's channelized that one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And when that Bloomberg story came out, like all Verizon, AT&T's share price went down and yeah. stuff. So and, I, 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 I watched that. I think yeah. the insight here is it's probably... It, I'm. Sh- Ninety-five percent that had a basis of truth. There was they were talking to somebody in M and O, and those people that were talking to may not have thought through the long-term strategic right. implications <laughs> of what they were doing. And and uh, when the stock price went down, the the C-suite of those companies said, you know, you know, what are you doing over right? Yeah. So, you know, uh, and so they probably rethought that and all these declarations <clears throat> that nobody's right. doing this is. It's probably true too, so it's yeah, probably all true. That's something that cracks me up, Charles. You know, you're, you're, you're a CEO, and you've presumably, you've obviously sat at the top table more often than me, which is at least once. Um, but it does sometimes crack me up as a business journalist, just seeing how um, how often these people at the top table with great salaries and reputations and job titles just fucking blow it. They just make some really what? Well, I mean, like Amazon did one. I mean. And you can sort of forgive someone like Bezos or Musk where they roll the dice. You sort of think, fair enough. But I remember when I just started this job back in 2014, I'd just come from being a smartphone analyst. 
and they launched this thing called a Fire Phone, and 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 it was a, the Amazon's Android phone, except it was, except it wasn't proper Android because they wanted to just cover, just fill it with Amazon centric stuff. Um, so basically, the long and short of it is that you couldn't get most of the Android goodness, and and yet it still cost as much as a premium Android phone. And I remember writing at the time, going, "This is never going to fucking happen." And it, of course, it was a complete waste of time, and no one bought it, and it just ended up being paperweights. But it is amazing how every now and then they will try these things, and you just think, "What were they thinking?" Right. Um, and but then again, you know, we were just talking about the, the business model. We were talking about the business model of things like Starlink and, and Project Kuiper. Is that what we call it? That's it, isn't it? Yeah, it's Kuiper. Um, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I think what made me get onto the folly of some CEOs. It's the Kuiper Belt. So the outside of the solar system, they have right. a bunch of small bodies and comets that come out of the Kuiper Belt. So it was named out of. You know, go. after that. So, yeah. but sorry, go ahead. No, go no ahead, it's Scott. good. It's good to have a, a space so, dude on to. So the the the, the insight here you're getting to is a very important thing. So, if you don't encourage risk taking in a company, then everybody gets too conservative. Yeah. And so the best part about the Fire Phone, I think, is that Bezos is owns it. Right. We did this. It was a complete failure. But I'd rather try Rob, and try and try yeah. roll the dice and learn from it. He calls the distinction here is a one-way door versus a two-way door. So a, a one-way door is you go through it, you can't come back. There's, you know, you're not risking the company. But if you don't try stuff and you, everybody sees you're so risk-averse of trying stuff, then they all, all the people around the CEO become risk-averse yeah. too. And, right. and then it becomes that becomes worse because you don't try things and you die as a company because you're not innovating. You're not taking risks. And what you want to do is encourage people to take smart risk. Mm. Can you take this bet? If it doesn't work, you're fine. If you if, if it doesn't work, you learn something. And if it does work, it's a big breakthrough. So that's, so that's a good bet. Right, right? You yeah, got to get that balance. Right. And you've done that, Charles. I mean, you were talking earlier about people looking at you like you're mad when you were yeah. coming up with stuff. And and here we are. That was twenty what fifteen when you were first talking about this stuff. Well, we you know we we figured it out in twenty fifteen, right? And so the first thing is is we you don't want to, you know, you have to convince yourself, right? And and you can't be a fool, right? Because you th oh this sounds great, I'll just go do it. So the first thing we did is we went to five experts, like you know like the t my most precious resource is my time. And if I go start this company on this crazy idea yeah. and it's and it so doesn't work, I've just complete, I I'm the fool. So we went to the experts, all over many different experts, and said, "Tell we think we can connect a satellite to a phone. Tell me, tell me whether we can do this." Mm. And so one of the experts we went to is the JPL Deep Space Network, and and we we asked them and said, "You know, these people are, have satellites outside the solar system. The Voyager and Pioneer satellite, you know, are outside the solar system. These people know physics. They know communications. What can be done?" And so I, I had a NASA background. People on my team had a NASA background. And we went to them and said, and they first said, there's no way you can do this. <laughs> right? That's crazy. Mm. And we said, here's our link budget. Right? Said, you know, it, the link budget says we can do it. And they said, let us look at that. And they looked at it, and they came back a couple of days later. He said, you're right. You can do it. This is amazing. What, what so, do you mean by budget in this context? So it's the physics of the link margin of connecting a, you know, any two devices is called a link budget, right? Uh -huh. So the bigger antenna you have, the more link margin you have. I was the thinking more you were just saying, here's how much cash we've got. No, no, no. no. It's a link. It's a, yeah. a physics-based link budget. Is that where budget. you get your name from? 
So, well, actually not. Oh. Right. We just that, uh, but we were doing that at the time. Okay. It's, you know, Link, we just need a short, snappy, memorable yeah. yep. people. You know, then we came up with that. We, we had a crazy, stupid name at the start. It was called Ubiquity Link. And that was a mouthful. I said, ah, we need a better one. We finally figured it out and we chose Link. But these people said, you know, this is, yeah, you can do this. And we did that five other times, right? And it, always the reaction was the same. The, you know, so the great thing about this is the best startups are the one that people say it's not obvious. They tell you this is like crazy. Yeah. And then you say, you know, you show them it can be done. It's like, wow, you actually can do it. It's completely non-obvious, right? Those are the best businesses that was, to start. That was something I learned, actually. Uh, I mentioned I was a smartphone analyst in, in my previous life. And that was something I learned just from seeing some of our interactions with our clients. So, uh, uh, And all our clients would be the major smartphone makers. Uh, and this was about, well, nine years ago, so you can do the maths. So it wasn't, you know, the, the, the smartphone was still, um, the smartphone boom was still in the near rearview mirror, like the, right. the iPhone, Android in, um, smartphone boom. But I definitely got the impression there were the likes of, I don't know, someone like Samsung, where a big company, but but their innovation tended to be fast follower, incremental, low risk type of thing. And I may well be doing Samsung a massive disservice here, but this is the impression I got at the time. And you know, and that's a model. Right. And that's fine. Samsung's right. fucking huge. It's worked for company. them. Yeah, yeah. But I just always thought, yeah, all you're really doing. Is just saying, oh look, Apple's just done this. Why don't we just do something that's pretty close to it? You know, it's not they're not quite reverse engineering, which some parts of the world have been accused of. Um, but fast following is the is right. the kind way of putting it. Give Samsung credit; they came up with the first oversized smartphones that Apple had to follow eventually, right? So they've done some... Right, right. Yeah, but we, uh, used to, yeah, yeah. we used to call them, back when I was at Strategy Analytics, Fablets. Yeah. yeah, do you remember that? Yeah. Right. Thank God that fo- that turned away. Never, never stayed. That was it, annoying. That? Well, it was um, also spelt with oddly as well. Well, because it's because it's phone and tablet. It's a oh, portmanteau of phone okay. and tablet, hence the ph. Yeah, but it's still I annoying. Seen, I don't see many people with them. Well, because everything's a phablet now. What we used to describe as a phablet was it's, was something uh, like a six-inch screen. If you've or got whatever. an iPhone Pro, then you've got a phablet, more or less. This is a phablet. That's, that's yeah, a pro. Try and remember what the first iPhones were like. They were tiny compared to that. Yeah, they make a bigger yeah, one than this. Yeah, there's a bigger version of that. that iPhone Pro Max, middle. sorry. It's the iPhone yeah. I think Max. it was like six yeah. to seven because, it, you know, the idea was there were some tablets that went as small as about seven or eight inch screen hmm. um, diagonal. Anyway, um, how, but yeah, how, that's interesting. That. These satellites that are outside the solar system, and this is total tangent here, right? how do they sort of keep, how do they monitor that? I mean, I've Well, they seen, have you know, the NASA Deep Space Network. They have a humongous antenna in on the ground right. pointed at them in space. And it's, so you... This is the physics of it. You can have big antennas and you have a low data rate. Yeah. You can close the link two ways with these satellites outside the solar system. So that's, that's crazy. They're yeah. constantly, we're monitoring them. We get, uh, you know, what the environment is out there in deep space. They're sending back Does it data. change? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. They, there's, a, there's a point outside the solar system, well outside the solar system, where the solar wind from the sun you know, the, the feeling of that, sensing that, disappears. And there's a bow shock where you're really in interstellar space. So those satellites have moved into interstellar so space. So they're in another solar system. Well, they're, yeah. they're yeah. between, sol- between solar systems, yeah. right? But they're truly in interstellar space. So that was right. in theory. And so these satellites prove that that place existed where you're truly in interstellar space. Well, Ian, before you go down that rabbit hole too much. Sorry. We've only got like maximum half an hour left. Um, oh, yeah. And there was one other tangent 
I mean, not tangent, a different bit of news that that I wanted to talk about, which hopefully you'll feel all right chatting about. It's got fuck all to do with what we've just been saying. All telecom um, even. Um, but we were just chatting about Apple and innovation and rolling the dice. And there was a bit of news that, that came out today where um, yesterday evening, UK time, um, Apple launched this new, like, ex- augmented, ski, virtual, ski extended re- reality type of thing, ski mask thing. And I just thought we'd chat about that. Um, and you know, feel free. You don't have to. You don't have to make any professional comment on it. You can well, just talk about it like a punter or whatever. Well, because everybody who has an Apple device is kind of personal. You can well, you well, can chat you, about. And you're it, one right? of them, are you? Yeah. In common with most Americans, what's yeah. the what's the install base of iPhones in the U.S.? It's pretty big. Isn't well, it? it's well over fifty percent. Yeah. And it's right. taken over all the kids. You're not cool if you don't have an Japan's, iPhone. Japan's right? the other ridiculous one, isn't it? Right. For a country with its own sort of smartphone brands, everybody owns right. an iPhone. Because back when I used to track this, the global install Store base was something like like twenty percent Apple and eighty percent Android. I think so, you're seeing a lot of switching like recently as well from Android in, in favor Apple. of Apple. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, but even so, the majority of the world, if they've got a smartphone, is Android rather than Apple because it's cheaper. I mean, you got all the it goes down the stack. Even the cheapest iPhone is is what we'd call a premium tier in the analyst yeah. game. Yeah, it's like four hundred pounds. Um, anyway. Um, so anyway, so they've launched this this thing, and and I'll I'll summarise it. I didn't cover it. Andrew did for us. He did a great job. Uh, in fact, we were talking about it um, earlier. We were just arguing the toss before you arrived, Charles, and we realised that none of us, except for Pierre, had really looked into it that much. And Ian and I were just shooting from the hip based on a, a limited amount of information. But that's never stopped us. That's what podding's <laughs> all about, as far exactly as I'm concerned. Right. Um, but yeah, so it's called Vision Pro, and we described it in the headline, which I which I tweaked, and I think perhaps mistakenly, I don't know if I got it right, I described it as an augmented reality headset. But just to summarise what it spatial is... Spatial computing is what they call it. They call it. it spatial computing, which sounds a bit of a sort of wanky <laughs> term, if you ask me. Um, but, um, you know, and why have they got but pro in it? I mean, pro is so redundant. Yes. It I think it means, me. like, this is why it's so expensive right now. Because it's pro. It's only for pros. So that well, means pro, that so they're going to have them. the vision version that's cheaper later and yeah, exactly. rename it, right? See, I wouldn't yeah. mind if they had amateur version, but they never do that. The marketing people, it's only ever pro. It doesn't Ro- sound good, amateur, rookie. in a no. product name. Yeah, rookie. Entry-level, right. vanilla, whatever. Um, but the thing about vision it... Vision poor. The thing about it is, it looks like it looks like a sort of ski goggles... Um, and you could be forgiven for thinking that it's transparent. To my my thing, just to just to backtrack a little bit before we get into this, we've spoken about augmented reality, virtual reality, metaverse, all that right. shit on the pod loads of times. And I think I don't want to speak for Ian, but I think we, we will agree that virtual reality, i.e., headset where you're just completely immersed in this digital environment, is quite a niche use case. I.e., you can't wear it out and about because you'd be walking in front of cars and shit like that. Um, so you wear it at home, ideally in some kind of padded cell, and then you can go around playing tennis or on a, on a, martial on a, on a directional treadmill and, and yeah, stuff. or something like yeah. that. So it, it, it's it's a very are these things on sale right now. When are they going to uh, sell? Early, early next year. I think. Early next year. Yeah, so early next you're going to see people early next year walking around. With it's a things. scary thought. So. Well, exactly. So 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 this is why you might you might be right, Charles, because what this I and I've always said that though. That previous pure VR use case is very niche for all the reasons I just described. It's, it's just constrained by health and safety as right. anything else. But if you've got what I would describe as a heads-up display like fighter pilots have or whatever, right. where you've got the glasses like me and Ian are wearing, 
but then over and above, you've got superimposed this sort of digital information, and I can look right. at you. It's like Terminator, isn't it? Right. When you see from the inside of Terminator's head in those films, yeah. and I can see it, and yeah. suddenly I'm seeing your biography and yeah. right, right. seeing whether you're getting a bit stressed out and w- wishing I'd get to the yeah, fucking so point. It actually, you know what would be cool? If it could monitor you and tell, tell me when you're lying, right? So, well, there we yeah. go. Right? That'd yeah, be yeah. pretty that's cool. That's coming. Exactly. I can, look, <laughs> oh, Scott, that's, Scott's lying about that, right? Belgium. Charles so. is talking shit, Scott. I, I, I drill down on that one. <laughs> Um, and so that's the ultimate that sort of Terminator fighter pilot heads up display and but but there's also that health and safety thing which is you need to be able to see what's going on if you're going to have some kind of some kind of um, uh, sort of dialed in relationship with the digital world but still conduct your normal life you need to be able to see normal life we're not going to stop we're not just going to turn into brains in a jar just existing entirely through the metaverse no matter what Zuckerberg thinks right so this one what's interesting about this Eight cameras, six cameras. Yeah, yeah. So it's not actually a clear screen, but what it's got is tons of cameras all around it, a lot of them pointing out. Right. And what it apparently does is film the outside world right. and it projects right. what it's filming onto this screen and then superimpose all this digital right. goodness onto it. And then at the same so time... So it is the Terminator. So th- this is fascinating. Extent, yeah. In fact, this whole line of thought, marry AI with these glasses, and it the AI that's in your glasses will figure out what's going on and inform you. So yeah. it actually, these could grow into the Terminator, right? Yeah. AI and these glasses you know, exactly. become the beginning. And which, funnily enough, Terminator is what I nearly always invoke when we talk about AI as well. <laughs> you just need one of Musk's brain implants, and right. then, you, then you're laughing. But I would have thought that would take it a step further, because if you've even got a brain the- implant, you don't even need a peripheral like this. It's just Maybe going not. straight into Maybe your bunts, isn't it? Right. Um, but anyway, so they've come out with this thing, Apple Vision Pro headset, because it's only for pros, not amateurs. And um, Does that mean we can't use them? Yeah. I'm not often accused of being a pro. <laughs> um, and it costs three and a half grand dollars, I think. Um, well, well, everybody it, here should have one here soon, right? You guys can afford that. Yeah. <laughs> On a wicked I can journal. afford. To, I'm going to put it down on my Christmas list. <laughs> I can afford to, to, gonna... to buy it and use it for 13 days and then return it on the 14th. <laughs> we could just say we need it for research for the pod or something. Well, some people will get them. Some press, top press, will obviously get them to review. Yeah, well, some have already. We, 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 we had to link to them. Not on that kind of journalism. Shout, shout out to Paolo Pescatore, who was there. Who he probably he probably tried. He was there, Paolo. Paolo, yeah. if, if you're listening, come on the pod and tell us about him. Man. Um, so anyway. I'll stop talking in a sec. What I really wanted to lead up to is somewhat sort of picking up where we left off in when we were arguing the toss uh, with Pierre earlier on. I It's obviously very expensive. It's obviously outside, especially for what it can apparently do. And it's got a, I should say also, it's got a special operating system. Part of, and part of the cleverness is it's got eyeball trackers. So you've got this heads up display and you can, navigate around a menu similar to right. a, like a, a, a the wall of apps that you get on your phone but using your eyes you just right. look at it you just look at it i mean you can do that on the playstation one for example right. it's just this is right tuned. fair enough and this one this the main thing is that this one doesn't have devices in your hands right yeah exactly so that's the big difference right so you use a combination of your eyes and something else Pin, to... you, you pinch your fingers you drag yeah, the, the phone can, the, the device can see your, where you pinch and you grab something and it'll actually manipulate it instead of doing a pointer you're pinching and right. moving yeah. around so it's pretty but presumably your hand has to be within the, the scope of that exterior camera yeah, if you do it behind your back it's yeah it's not going to happen yeah. right right <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's all very clever and, and utopian it's 
Well, so the, the big thing, I'll, I'll, tee the, I'll tee this up, Ian. Yeah, you're already coming up with some skeptical muttering. So let me pass the ball to you. I'll tell you the one that I'm like skeptical about. Okay, but well, let me pass the ball to you, Ian. So the, the thing I'll say, if I'm being devil's advocate in favour of this thing, is yeah, I wouldn't have three and a half grand to pay for it. I'd certainly have an extremely earnest conversation with my wife if I suddenly dropped three and a half K on this. Mm. Um, but I think. Apple does have a track record. And I'm, bear in mind, I'm an Android and a Windows user, so I'm no Apple fanboy at all. But Apple does have a track record of sort of setting the agenda in terms of consumer technology. And while I don't think many people will buy this particular iteration, I think it, we could probably look back on it in five or ten years as a, as a significant inflection point in terms of moving towards this heads-up display paradigm that I, say, I think is the only viable thing. What do you reckon, Ian? No, I agree. I completely come around to it. <laughs> oh, stop being facetious. They were looking at 500,000 units well, this year. I mean, I I didn't read all the details of the yeah. release earlier because I was busy doing other things, but it does sound quite oh, impressive, the, the, uh, the, the camera mm. aspect of it. And I, I don't know, it's very expensive. I, I don't see it becoming a mass market device, no, this particular one. But So can you see any merit? Well, what they're probably going to do, I think this is probably the most interesting thing, is that the developer community will start doing quite interesting things with it. Hmm. And then we see... Because at the moment, if you put it on and you walk around your high street with these cameras yeah, yeah. pointing outwards and right. you're able to sort of grab things and manipulate them, it won't get you anywhere. But who knows where it might lead in a year's time. Some some of the apps that came along on the iPhone, when, you know, when Steve Jobs first got up on stage and said, here's the first iPhone and... It looked great, but there was nothing to go with it. And then yeah. within three months' time, there were yeah. these whizzy things. Well, they had to start an app about. store. Yeah. Right. So, so did they announce they, they, that app totally. store for this this no. thing? Yeah, yeah right no, away. Okay, so oh, cool. Yeah. And then yeah. the thing is, I, I didn't realize the iPhone was announced in January 20, uh, 2007 and then was released six months later. So this right. is kind of the same thing. But the app store came in with the like, iPhone 3GS, I think. Yeah, like yeah. It came a couple of years later. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. this one is like, and it's got all the iPad apps compatible with it, which, which is like not the point because it's 2D. I mean, I mean things like Uber, right. you know, which you're about to, to use, is like um, a, 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 an economy-changing thing, you know. Right. And so who knows what could come out of... I think that's probably the most interesting thing right. about it. The actual device itself will probably be succeeded by something that's <laughs> more lightweight and lower cost. I mean, I still like the idea. I know Google gave up on it. They had the glasses, but I right. still think that's probably... A better, Snapchat had a go at that as well. A better thing than having something as big and clunky as, you know, you look like you, you should be coming down a mountain right. on snow uh, mm -hmm. rather than rather so than I, I, the high street. I think but. this, you guys are right, both right. It's it's brilliant and it's limited. That it's kind of like the first iPhone that's limited to what we have today. It's like the first Apple Watch is very limited to what you have today. Um, but they had to do it. I think the reason they had to do it is they have to get the independent software developers you know, inventing the Uber of these glasses, right? Yeah. Yeah. They need to come up with how are you going to use it that they never thought of. Yeah. So they And the only way to do that is have it out there and create this virtuous cycle where now they, all the innovative software people all over the world are going to like, well, I'm going to make an app for that, yeah. right? And some, you know, there'll be one out of 100 is going to be brilliant and, and uh, one out of 1,000 is going to be a breakthrough and it's like never thought of. That's the amazing thing to think about because we can't really imagine what the I know it's a really overused cliche term we can't imagine what the killer app would be for 
a device like right. this. Who imagined but when it does Uber. come along, it will seem so obvious. Yeah, Uber's a classic No one, one. imagined yeah, yeah. Uber when you had the first iPhone, right? Yeah. So it, it came around. So the second thing is I think the key, the key immediate use cases are going to be more knowledge workers in the office and, you know, I, uh, and uh, maybe people in factories where everything is, where you're moving something yeah. and, it, and it's giving these lists, stuff. you know, and tells you what to do, what not to do, what's on your to-do list and keeps track and you become mm. much more productive. So knowledge workers, it might be a substitute to the extra big screens you have. So I heard one, one uh, independent reviewer um, was talking about how this might be better than having that, you know, on their laptop, the big screen. So that's an, an interesting that you could, you know, substitute for the big screens that are on your, your, your Apple laptops that are connected in. So I think it'll be knowledge workers, and, but it'll be business cases to start. Um, but I think eventually you get to some direct-to-consumer, but it's going to be these innovators that do the, the really cool app. Well, the, yeah. the direct-to-consumer stuff reminds me of stuff I was writing about even before my previous life I was talking about. So this is 10, 15 years ago when I was first getting into mobile. So this is around the time um, when, when it was first kicking off. And people were talking a lot about what they called location-based services back then. And... And I remember Nokia had a very early attempt at AR, except that it wasn't through a headset, it was through your phone, but you'd, you'd move your phone around and it would know what you were looking at and it would go... The, the utopia, the ideal, this, which never happened, is you'd, you'd be looking through your screen via the camera at the outside world and then it would go, oh, oh, this shop that you're about to walk past has got a special offer on jeans, Yeah. so why don't you pop in? And And there were all these... All these sort of ideas of incredible consumer applications Things for the telcos wanted to do. AR back. Yeah, and then the telcos would get a piece of the action and all that sort of thing, and it never really happened. And maybe maybe uh, it'll I mean, take I something think, like this. But I think some of that has happened now, um, some of that location-based service like, stuff. I mean, when can you think of a time, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a dick about it, but can you think of a time when you've used a location-based service on your phone? Well, all the time. But not oh, in that sense. The map? With the mapping, mapping, or just going, what's, <laughs> what pubs Google are near Maps. me? Things like, yeah. What pubs uh, are near me? Yeah, but but then you don't, even Google Maps now or Apple Maps or whatever, if 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 we went out and we went, you know, we were sick of going to the Rose and Crown and we went, what, what pubs are near? And it said there's a white heart. It wouldn't necessarily do this LBS stuff that was being hyped a decade plus ago saying, and by the way, the white heart's doing two for the one on gin and tonics. Yeah, or something like that. maybe. I mean, I... Thinking about that, though, I could see, um, you know, we were talking about this being like another iPhone, like a mass market device. No, mm. I was, you were saying that. No, I was saying that it's it wasn't going to be. And I'm but, like, it's not even. Yeah. But I could see a future point where a successor with the right kind of apps and the right kind of software community behind it becomes, uh, takes over from smartphones. Because if you if you yeah. can have a pop-up menu in your, in, 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 in your sort of field of vision, Right. And and say I want to call Teresa now, um, or right. uh, I want to send an email to someone and dictate it, or whatever you might do on your smartphone these right. days. Why would you need to carry a device at the same right. time? And then all of a sudden, the, the the kind of market shifts completely. But I, I thought what I really like is actually contact lenses that you stick in your eyes. You don't have any device at all. Well, that's the right. ultimate cleverness. That's the ultimate heads-up display. <laughs> isn't it? Um, yeah. If you think about. It, and, and this may be a, a massive oversimplification, but if you think about the linear evolution of the screen, so like we have cinema, then TV, then desktops, then laptops, then um, then mobile devices. Yeah, eventually it's no and, screen at all. Or, or 
but this could be w- w- the next iteration. Like this is a screen that's clamped to your face. Yeah. Personally, it, from my sort of old gittish perspective, I've got a fair bit of luddite pushback on the thought well, of going around that, constantly. With I don't something. think that's just a, well, well that's Scott. Not... You have a screen on your face right now. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's, yeah. that's that's, that's yeah. vital. But that's Otherwise... the analyst, that's the typical analyst pushback, though, is right. that people don't like to walk around with things clamped to their yeah. face, and I, that's why I think this th- this particular thing probably well they don't work, they don't but... like to look like fools so but, that's yeah. the that's the one of the unique things that apples does they they're trying to make it look cool right yeah. So it look it actually looks pretty good. It looks better than the the Facebook you, you, you version, look, right? You look, you look right, in and the it house. looks a lot better than the Google version. It's like uh, it was kind of weird, right? So no, but the whole promo of it was all indoor. Like all the promos, right. it's people indoor on their yeah. couch, right, in the living room. It, this, they never showed somebody. Uh, at least I don't remember outside. Yeah, but they'd love it if they could have somebody walking along outside, and then all of a sudden maybe the teenagers go, "This is a really cool thing to wear." Right. I don't think they will. But just looking at the photos Andrew put in this thing, they 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 all have sort of young women wearing it so they're, they're trying to make it cool the other thing that's that's slightly creepy about it is it's got a, got an outside screen where inside cameras film your eyes no. and project them onto yeah that is okay but it's not exactly that go on then it's when you get it when you set it up you scan your face yeah. and then it creates a, a 3d a fake version of your eyes that then it then displays what is it static no it moves but it's it's not cameras it's more like a uh, okay yeah it's right. not like it's not an actual image. Not of a real, not, not a real constant. Time. Yeah, it, it, I see. it's like right. oh, he's moving his eye to the right, so the eye. You know what I mean? It's not direct. But it's still the purpose of it is still this slightly spooky to create the impression of that you can see the person's face when you can't. It is better though. I think better than I just think nothing. Found, yeah, yeah. I think they found it spooky when you don't see anything. Right? Yeah. yeah. So they they that people want. Fair enough. And apparently, it turns on as soon as someone gets close to you. Like if I or get close to your eyes would turn on and then I would come into the field of your game or whatever. It is all quite black mirror, isn't it? Yeah, but then the, blasted the, by an infrared beam. The the genius no, thing You gotta watch the thing, just watch it. The genius right. thing about Black Mirror is well one of the many things about it is how adjacent how believable it was as just one increment beyond where we are now in terms of technology. And you know, you'll always get that and as I think maybe you were alluding to Earlier, Charles, you know, younger people obviously have got less baggage, less inertia. They're more willing to just accept these things. Right. Going, yeah, why not? All right. Yeah. Um, whereas I've I've definitely got an old gittish ludditeism about me. But I mean, where I, where I agree with you, and so he and he and I were, were disagreeing more vehemently than we have on this pod about the the merits of this thing. Well, I completely agree with you, Ian. Is trying to picture it as a mass market device i'm really struggling to get my head around right now what do you reckon charles do you think, I think loads the, of people could be i walking think around uh, maybe gen 3 or gen 5 they yeah. they get you know mass market they didn't they they're i suspect they know that it's not going to be mass market but they'll have a business uses and they'll get a whole bunch of a million people are going to develop apps and they'll figure it out the next version will be better just like every apple watch was better and it'll get i i think over time, they'll get there, right? I suppose it depends how compelling that app is. If there's an app that's just transformative. What do you want? What do you know. want? What, um, what, would you, what would make you buy? He doesn't know what he wants. Right? I don't know yet. I mean... I, I, would, I would buy an app that like tell, you know, tell me uh, if people were lying to me, right? Like, uh, you know... You know, just the the app. Yeah, but then to, they know not to lie to you when you're wearing right? the thing. Tell me. Uh, they go, sir. I'm going to have to ask you to take that off. It's like, right. a, like a lie detector. <laughs> yeah, that, that'll probably be. You're in a negotiation. That's, that's it's like oh, you got to take off your Apple goggles, right? That's really scary. Though. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. Or the, and it could it could render like mind altering drugs obsolete. Right. You know, where you could just have a, a sort of acidy gangy. You're well, always thinking about drugs, aren't you? Yeah, that's, that's, that's my problem. <laughs> it's funny you said that in the presentation they were showing like meditation stuff, and it definitely has that vibe of 3D, you know, like images and stuff. I tell you where a lot of my resistance comes from is just surrender of control. The more you know, and I, I'm, I, I have you ever tried VR before? Yeah, that's yeah. My, that's my. We've resistance. got one at home. Ah. <coughs> well, uh, that's the difference between you and the kids, right? They they don't have any illusions about. But they got a bit bored of it. Oh, we the got... PlayStation one is a good one. Yeah, yeah, the but, last one. But they got a bit bored of it. We played it for a bit. They were all excited. PS Five. Uh, four. Oh yeah, okay. PS Five. It's big, big changes. Right. Yeah. You got that, have you? No, my nephews do. Uh -huh. The Oculus is. Good. I don't have any console. <coughs> no, no, it's a PS Five. With the Oculus, which, uh, until yeah. yesterday was kind of like the tip of the. So thing. they have their own. Sony has their Sony's own. Sony's got their own VR. Yeah, but it has to be plugged in the console. And it's and you have to use a little. So I remember thing. using an Oculus one at a friend's house a few weeks ago, yeah. and it was there's a game where you you're climbing, yeah, uh, like in Yosemite or something. Right. And uh, I was like, this is going to be rubbish. I'm not interested. I'd rather just sit and have another hazy Jane. <laughs> and uh, it was actually yeah. really realistic. Like, I'm not super realistic, but right. enough to make you feel a bit dizzy and like right. oh, I don't want to fall off this ledge right. right. Yeah. So I was, I was quite impressed, but I don't know if I want to go there because it's just it's a bit Ready Player One, isn't so it? So that's what I'm admitting, and, and I'm not saying it's rational, and it could be very much age as much as personality related or experience related. That it's just like just the amount I, you know, just the analog sit in a pub, drink beer, talk well, shit thing, as yeah. opposed to everything be digital but I think in the future when everybody's using these things and they're all sort of zoned into it I'm going to be the guy sitting at the bar reading an old copy of the sun in print yeah, format that you'd fold it in your back pocket that I'd fold it in my back pocket and then I'll be you know but I think you won't replace you'll be reveling in it by that stage I think it won't replace interactions like you just described it. no it'll replace maybe video gaming maybe viewing TV which I get it it's better if you have just a friend next to you and laugh at the movie versus both wearing goggles but then you know again I I've got to sort of claim hypocrisy in, in our household. We pretty much all retreat to our respective corners and watch personal screens. There's there's very little communal viewing. My, my my wife, my son have started watching Tarantino films together for some reason. Mm. Um, but yeah, you know, I'll go off and, and they they left you out. So. He's seen them all. Huh. Yeah, I I've got I've got a really shitty attention span, a really shitty boredom threshold, and I, I've just always been a computer games guy, partly because of that. Right. Even TV but, alone, I, I so like. So what you're I saying is a great sad. computer game would suck you in. Yeah. Probably, yeah, yeah. Right. The one that was just utterly transformative, that completely new experience. Right. That would probably be my But I don't think your household's unusual. Like, ours is quite similar to that. Like, the moment we've usually... I've usually got the tennis on in the evening, Magda's on her phone, and Alex will be on a YouTube video yeah. looking at some skateboarding yeah. stuff. You got well, you and got a like, plan and event where we're all together, right? Yeah. And everybody has to and break then everybody away. Drifts away sometimes. Let's go, anyway. let's go to a movie. Let's, and it's like it's such pulling teeth. Oh, we got to do something with yeah. mom and dad, right? Yeah. Cool. Well, look, um, we're running out of time. Actually, one thing occurs to me: you're talking about tennis. So we're recording this on Tuesday. It'll get up in the next day or two, and then we're obviously not recording on Friday, partly because Ian and I is going to be at French Open, isn't it? Mm. Uh, we're being taken there by Orange, so that'll be quite cool. That's part of a feast of tennis that's in store for us. Mm. Um, so think of us on Friday, just having a nightmare, sipping Sancerre <laughs> and watching. Actually, you don't like white wine, so you wouldn't Not be able really, to. No. Would you reckon for the win? 
Well, it's either Alcaraz or Djokovic, I would yeah. say. It's so the final. Wins that semi wins. Yeah. So we're going to be seeing semis. Are they, they're not. They're not scheduled to meet up in the semis, are they? Yeah, it's Alcaraz versus Djokovic. Oh, I, shit! So we might see that semi. Alcaraz versus Djokovic, and the other one I think will probably be Zverev versus Runa. But we won't get to see both of them because we've got to leave to get home because we didn't book a hotel. But we, we're getting the last. But we're getting back. the last one back. Yes. But they keep playing for quite a while, don't they? They'll finish late at night. We, we've got to leave at seven thirty. But tonight, the Alcaraz plays at eight. Yeah. In local time. Yeah. So, so if we're lucky, we'll see one of the matches. And obviously, seeing Alcaraz versus Djokovic would be the kickass. Yeah, but they'll put that one on the evening, so we'll probably see the other bastards. One. Well, Rune is really good. Come on, French that, Open. And so is Vera. Oh, they won the audience. I know, but it's not quite the same, is it? Well, okay. Um, all right. Well, anyway, it's a total tangent. Um, yes, it is total tangent, <laughs> and um, and Charles is a CEO with important shit to do. So <laughs> we will wrap it up at that stage. It was great. I'm pleased we made this happen with like a few days' notice. And well, thanks, thanks a lot guys. For thanks in. for moving things around. Yeah, no, and, and thanks for giving us your time. It was much appreciated, and it was really interesting. We don't we don't do satellite that much, do we? No. So I think we've got a real deep well, dive. Well, this there. is satellite, and it's mobile, right? So that's, the, yeah. that's yep. part of convergence. Yep. Yeah, in fact, that was one last thing. We've got one, one or two more minutes, hopefully. Right. Um, I was just thinking about it, it slipped my mind, but now that you've mentioned the convergence, VR, AR, XR, MR, whatever the fuck they want to call it, some kind of reality, has often been touted as this 5G, you know, like with 5G, part of our daily writing is that they're struggling to find the, the business case of 5G. Right. 4G is obvious, it was mobile broadband done properly, but we're not quite sure what the business case of 5G. And I've always felt they're reaching a little bit, talking about... Um, augmented reality and virtual reality in a mobile right. sense. So, you know, just one last thought. I don't want to put you on the spot. It's only just occurred to me. But, you know, do you think that's viable? Do you think for things like this Apple thing we were just talking about, the, that that could ultimately be a strong um, driver for business for mobile connectivity, which could, of course, include what you do? Well, that's fascinating. So uh, I've never, given you like never, two say, never say never. Um, and, uh, you know, that it, you know, but it goes to the consumer if there's walking around the street, you know, when you're, when you're in home, it's going to be over Wi-Fi, so that's not going to drive 5G. But, uh, yeah, does this drive totally more, you know, broadband use cases? I have, hell if I know, right? Yeah. So I'm focused on, you know, just since the end of this is, you know, the world has a zero G problem, right? Right. And mostly people sitting in suburbs and cities forget about the, you know, the hundreds of millions of people who have a mobile phone in their pocket and are, have zero G right now, right? And and anything is better than nothing. And we need, you know, to solve that problem. And there's another billion people we're, we're predicting are going to come on because they have affordable connectivity with an affordable phone um, in their area. And so it's going to bring the next billion people in the, into the mobile wireless world uh, over time, and it's going to pull people out of poverty. So what you guys are doing, what the mobile wireless industry is doing, um, partnering, and Link is going to partner to, we're all together going to, um, you know, extend the 21st century to people where they live. You know, they, you don't have to move where you live in these rural remote communities. You're going to get access to the 21st century. And together we're going to pull a whole bunch of people out of poverty and save lives, and that's uh, that's why we're doing this. We're we're very excited by uh, having uh, everywhere, everyone connectivity, no matter mm. what. And that's a really that's a really compelling pitch, and we know that that governments are increasingly um, treating connectivity as, as a sort of primary, not just strategic, but also just uh, serving their electorate sort of thing. Um, so yeah, I think you've summed that up well. Um, I won't I won't elaborate further on that. Other than to thank you again. 
Um, and hope we haven't kept you too long and you'll make your next appointment. And uh, you're always welcome back if there's some new announcements. If you've got your thousandth, thousandth, that's, that's a tough one after right, a couple of beers. Right. Um, satellite up or whatever. But uh, cheers, Charles. And, and thanks for coming on. All right. Thanks, guys. And next time I'll, I'll bring a different selection of American beer. There we go. <laughs> that sounds like a plan. Okay. And thank you for listening. And make sure you join us for the next one. 